Okay, well, let's, let's talk about Peter for a second. Uh, Peter's one of the 12 apostles, and in 1 Peter, he's towards the end of his life. It looks like history tells us that somewhere between 65, 67, maybe as far as 70 under a guy named Nero, who was a terrible, vicious person, that, that Peter died. So this is, this is like 64, 65 A.D. So this is right up towards the end of his life. When he wrote this, he was a seasoned veteran. He'd followed Jesus. He'd seen him resurrected. He'd walked on water. He'd healed the sick, sick raised the dead. He'd cast out demons. He, you know, had written epistles that became part of our, our scriptures. I mean, so he, he's, he's, he's the real deal, and he's about to be executed, and history tells us. Tradition tells us that when they went to execute him, they wanted to crucify him, and they were going to crucify him in the way that Jesus was crucified. And he said, I'm not worthy to die that way, so he asked to be crucified upside down. So his feet were where his head would be, and his arms, they, they turned the whole thing upside down, inverted it, and, you know, would have died from the beating, the, the aneurysm, all that kind of stuff. And so it's a, it's a terrible death, but a glorious life. And he says this, um, and he says this from the perspective of the end of his life, and he says this, because therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, remember this is the 65-year-old man getting ready to die, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you, when you lived in ignorance. So he's talking about a past life he's aware of that he had and others do as well. But just as he who called you is what? Now here's the commandment. So be in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The commandment is to be holy and the standard to which we're to be holy is the standard of Almighty God. Anybody intimidated by this yet? Because you're like, hey, man, and I realize that, this, but, but how many of you guys aren't quite there yet? Let me see your hand. And if you didn't raise your hand, it's called lying in church. Raise your hand anyway, because there, there's, there's this, this growth that he's come through in this position that he's in that, that he's speaking from age, from experience, and I'm not saying that we all shouldn't aspire to this. It is the command of God to be holy as he is holy. The command is to be, and the standard is as he is there's no way around this. This is a huge, this is a daunting task, is it not? But there's a progress and there's a process that Peter goes through that I think would be helpful for us today to maybe recognize what he means when he says this at the end of his life, that he wasn't living as he was following Christ in the early days. <clears throat> Understand this, though, guys. God's never going to call you to be holy as he is holy without providing the way for you to be holy as he is holy. Let me say that again because the three of you got it. Let me just the rest of you. God's not going to command you to jump over that wall if there's no way to jump over that wall. God's not going to tell you to give 110% because you only have 100%. God's never going to ask you to do something you can't do. So when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, there must be a way to do that. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. There must be a way to do that. Be holy as I am holy. The conclusion is there must be a way to do that. It's impossible. It would be wrong. It would be unrighteous to create a law unless you pay me 110% taxes on the 100% of your income, you're going to prison. That's bad law. Anyway, yeah. So what's the secret to holiness? Let's take a look at Peter's life. So Peter was a fisherman. So right away, we know he's a Navy guy, so he's got a potty mouth. That's for you, Dan. Yeah, from the Army guy. We never cussed. He's married because he has a mother-in-law. We find that. He uh, lived in Capernaum, a fishing village where his mother-in-law was and got healed. He's called to be a disciple. Looks like somewhere around his 30s, and uh, he begins to follow Jesus. He seems to be, as a disciple, the speaker of the group. If you look at the number of times Peter says stuff, and then Peter said, and then Peter replied, and then Peter asked, and then Peter, like, Peter's involved. I, there are people that never say a word. 
Like, there are people, we don't even know, they're, they're like, who's Thaddeus? I've never heard of Thaddeus. You know what I mean? It's because he didn't say anything, right? But who is Peter? Like, I know who Peter is. He's the one who said, if it's really you, I can walk on water. I'll die with you. I'll never deny you. This is Peter. And so we find out with that verbal gift that he has, um, he uses it to deny Jesus three times. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus died on the cross, was Peter holy as God is holy? He's not because he makes these promises he doesn't keep because he can walk on water for three seconds and then he begins to sink. His faith is not perfected. His holiness is not perfected. He actually falls, and, and I'll show you this. Jesus is talking to him. He goes, Simon, Simon, which is, which is Peter, um, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon. <laughs> so all 12 of you are in big trouble. Satan's asked. Satan's come before the throne and say, I want to sift them like wheat. If they really got the goods, I'm about to find out. Is that okay? And he goes, but I, and I've, 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 but I'm praying for you, buddy, because you're going to have it different than everybody else does. I pray that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, well, what's it mean, turn back? It means he turned. Now, Peter is saying, I'm ready to die with you. There's no way. So when you've turned back, when you've lost your faith, when you've struggled through this, when you've been sifted as wheat, when Satan wins and you lose, is what he's saying. I want you to come back and strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. I, here comes the mouth, right? I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, well, here's the truth. Before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Now, Jesus is right. And we see this happening in Luke chapter 22. A serving girl saw him seated there. She said, oh, Jesus has been carried away. He's in, in the courts of Pilate. <coughs> he is waiting for his trial um, and uh, Peter follows at a distance. So he's trying to keep his promise, but he's terrified. He ends up at a fire to stay warm, and at that fire, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned. Now, here's that moment. You ever been there? <laughs> there? And a groan arose from the Freedom Center. You know, I, oh, and, and, and like it's, you make that eye contact like, oh. And Peter sees Jesus eyeball to eyeball, and he remembers the word that he'd spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Um, Jesus dies. Peter's not there. He didn't keep his promise. He didn't go to prison. He didn't die with him. And it's the worst thing he's ever done in his entire life. And uh, after Jesus' resurrection, the women go to anoint what they believe is Jesus' dead body, but his body's been resurrected, and they're met by an angel. And the angel gives us the command to Mary and what they call the other Mary. He says, but go tell his disciples and... Are you getting this? Peter's not just done a bad thing. Peter's done something that's disqualified him from a position in ministry. He, he's denied, you know, Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. And I can't really tell much of a difference. One, one said, that's him, and they went to grab him and arrest him. The other one who promised to go with him to prison or fight for his freedom is a coward and runs away, stands at a distance, denies him three times. You may say, well, Judas was a bad guy, Peter was a good guy. They've both done terrible things. Both of them have lied to their Lord. Both of them have betrayed their own conscience. Both of them have sold out, one for gold and one for fear. But they both committed a terrible, grievous crime against Christ. Amen? But um, just so you know, 
he says, go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. But God's not done with Peter. How many guys are grateful God's not done with you? If you're still breathing, God's not done with you. If you're done breathing, God's done. You know what I mean? You're done. He's done. Um, I mean, there's an eternity. But, but I would say this, that as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's a reason God's giving you breath. I, I don't care. I, we, we've learned so much about the value of life and what we think it is and what God thinks it is. And we have had children that had no cognitive function that had terminal illnesses that were going to die that touched more lives than most preachers I know and taught us about Jesus and that family teaching us about Jesus in, in a way that we never could have crossed. So, I mean, every, every life has a purpose. You got breath, there's a reason for the breath, right? God's not done with Peter. He's going to reinstate him. And I would suggest not just reinstate him, he may even be promoting him from this position of, of shame. And this is what that reinstatement exam looks like. Here we go. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, are you sorry for what you've done? Is that what he says? What's he say? He asked him a question. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, go feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, have you learned anything from your mistakes? Is that what he says? What's the only question he's asking him? Do you? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, what is your plan to be holier next time? Is that what he says? I'm not diminishing holiness. I'm trying to show you how to get there. You understand? I'm not diminishing holiness. I'm not belittling what he's done. I want you to see what Jesus is doing to reinstate and maybe even promote Simon, to promote Peter to this position of leadership in the church. He, he's not counted amongst the disciples previously this. Now he's reinstating him. And the question he's asking him now, are you sorry? What's your plan not to let it happen again? What have you learned from this? He's asking one question. What is that question? So here we go, right? What was the only question Jesus asked Peter to reinstate and promote him? It's that. Do you love me? Now there's a reason for this. It's not an emotional reattachment. It's not a reuniting of family. It's, it's not to get the shame off of him. Those things are all true. But there's a greater purpose for the reinstatement and perhaps promotion of Peter in this manner. There was one question and the only question that he had to answer that would have prevented this in the first place, and that was, do you love me more than your own life? Do you love me more than the pain? Do you love me more than the consequences of loving me? Do you love me more? And so Peter hadn't failed the loyalty test. He'd failed the love test. You still here? Okay, get this. Every test you face is not a test of your will, your courage, your honor, your duty, your humility. Every temptation you face has one question embedded in it. Do you love God more than this? Or do you love this more than God? Are you hearing me? So understand this. Holiness is the fruit of relationship, not the price of admission. And sometimes, I don't know what happened in the holiness movement. Um, turn of the century, everybody had to take out their earrings, take off their makeup, wear long dresses, not cut their hair, unless you're guys. Then you had to cut your hair and not wear a dress and, and not pierce your ears, and, and makeup was still a no-no, right? The holiness movement, and I'm not saying people that started the holiness movement were wrong, but I think they had a revelation of Christ that was a pendulum swing moving them from, ah, eh, God's everywhere, it's no big deal, to the holiness movement. They knew God, and because of that, they were holy. The problem is this. One generation's revelation is the next generation's tradition. And if holiness is something under the Lord, like I, I just, I could never do that. I would never want to do that. Then all of a sudden, there's children being raised that don't have the conviction, but they have the same rules without the same relationship. 
And so the rules are, you will not wear this, you will not smoke that, you will not tattoo that, you will not show that, you will not do this. But if you don't have the relationship that brings holiness, all you have is the religious requirements of holiness, then you can convince yourself that the only way to truly be lovers of God is to be better than you really are without Him. Are you guys still here? Well, I hope you're getting this. So many people are trying so hard to be holy and realize there's one thing that leads to holiness. And Jesus is restoring him. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And we say it, it may be a cliche at this point, but the thought that once my heart is holy, my soul is pure, my mind is perfect, but then I will love God, that's not the way to holiness. You, one is the fruit of the other. One is not the admission fee to the one. Does that make sense? So in other words, is, is holiness the prize or the price that I have to pay? I am telling you, holiness is the prize of loving God. It is not the price to gain access to even begin to talk to him. Women caught in the act of adultery are called daughter by Jesus without uttering a word of repentance. A woman at the well who, who had sin in her life so much so that the Samaritans didn't want to associate with her. Jesus talks to her with honor and calls her daughter. Lepers that are not allowed to be touched. Jesus breaks his own law by touching. Why? Because there's a power in loving him that makes a soul holy. And there's a weakness in religion that makes God seem so far away because I'll never be good enough to know him. The revelation of the holiness movement was God is so good, we should respond to that. But the rules that came out of the holiness movement were just kind of this pendulum swinging the other way now where everybody can wear whatever. And the other day, somebody's talking about, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done or who you've done it with. You know, God's the big sugar daddy in the sky. And it's like, oh, Stop. There's still holiness, but we're not holy because we try harder. Listen, there can be no out of sin unless there's an into Jesus. The way out of sin is into Jesus. How do I get free from this? How do I stop doing this? How do I break the cycle of repetitive failure? Well, just try harder. How's that working for you? How many guys already broke your New Year's resolution and it's only like the second month? And if your resolution was not lying in church, you already broke it again. We all set goals. We all, you know, but then there's cheat days, <laughs> diets, and there's snow days, and there's, ah, I'll start next week. And, you know, like our self-control, by and large, is fairly pathetic. There are some mega business people. There are some mega scholars. There are some mega athletes that you eat wheat germ and, you know, sniff grass seeds and, and you know, essential oils and yoga pants, and that's awesome. But the rest of us broke our New Year's resolution about January 3rd. You have that self-control, but some people, how many guys, most, how many guys do you say, on a scale of one to ten, when it comes to self-control, I am, I am like, I'm, I, I'm not going to say what it is. It's none of your business, right? Right? Out of Egypt is impossible without the vision of the promised land that's waiting for you. Guys, Jesus is the promised land. Loving him. If, and we say this again, I don't mean to cliche this, but I, I'm just trying to bring a bunch of thoughts together for you this morning, because it's just us three in the upper room with this dead body. Let's, let's, just, let's just get Jesus here. Amen? Listen, if I were to say to you, whatever you do, don't think about penguins. Penguins are evil. They're short. They're scary. They're just way too black and white on issues. They walk funny. I just don't think about penguins. Well, everybody in this room just thought of a penguin. Some of you were thinking about, like, the Antarctic penguins. Some of you were thinking about the Detroit Zoo penguins. Some of you were thinking, if you're from the, the 70s, you're thinking about Chili Willie, the penguin with the hat and the bow tie. Some of you are older than that. You're thinking of, of Chumley and Tennessee Tuxedo and Mr. Whoopi. That's, how many of you guys know what I'm even talking about, Right? 
And that's like four of us. What's happened to this younger generation? You don't know culture, you know? Uh, gee, Mr. Whoopi, right? <laughs> it's funny because everybody on this side is not laughing. And this side's loving the sermon. They're like, I checked out. I'm, I'm on Facebook. I don't know. Looking it up on Google, you know? <clears throat> Peter had to do more than be sorry for his denial. Hear me. You have to do more than feel sorry for what you've done to be free from ever doing it again. If the strongest force in your life is guilt and shame, you will look for churches, you'll look for sermons, you'll look for verses, you'll look for teachers that condemn you so that you feel so bad that from that pain you try to live a better life. But if you understand the goodness of God, we don't have to think about penguins anymore. We can think about giraffes. And if I'm thinking about giraffes, what am I not thinking about? If I'm thinking about Jesus, what am I not thinking about? If I'm loving Jesus, what am I not loving? If, if I'm following Jesus, what am I not following? If I'm being led by the Holy Spirit, what spirit am I not being led by? Does this make sense? It's binary. I'm in, I'm out. I'm on, I'm off. If I am following Jesus, when I am loving God, sin is a million miles away from me. And when I'm loving sin, God feels like he's a million miles away from me. And God help you if you lose that, that differentiation. I think I just made that word up, differentiate. What a, what a debacle that might have been right there, huh? Sorry. Chris was trying to say debacle the other day. He couldn't think of it. He, he said, but uncle. We're like, a but uncle? What are you talking about? <laughs> he was a real but uncle. I'm like, what's a but uncle? I don't think I want that around my church, you know? It's a debacle. And we lost it. That was the end of the meeting, you know? See, this is why Jesus doesn't say, are you sorry? How bad do you feel? How bad do you feel? Do you feel bad enough now to never do that again? Pain's a teacher, but pain's not a master. Pain teaches us something's wrong where it's located so we can do something about it. That doing something about it is not trying harder next time. It's turning towards Jesus who relieves our pain, forgives our sins, and calls us to come deeper. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on your sin, you'll always sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll move away from sin and towards where your eyes are looking. So here's the conclusion. You cannot love God and continue to follow sin, and you cannot love sin and continue to follow God. This, this cyclical up and down, back and forth, feel good, feel bad, in and out, lukewarm, ongoing. Listen, God didn't redeem you to have to do it again and again and again. And, and I'm not even sure theologically he does it again and again and again, but I do know this. Man, if you fell and it hurts, stand back up and walk towards Jesus. If, if you blew it and, and, and you're guilty, the only way out of guilt is walking into Christ who forgives us our sins. It isn't to dwell on our sin and try harder next time and condemn ourselves so we live better. Pain is a teacher, but pain is not your master. Here's the other conclusion. The day Jesus' love more than sin is the day you get to go free. He who the sun sets free. It's free indeed, man. I just free. And I think one of the things we're missing, we'd always miss with religion, is, is freedom. We, we get the rules, but without the relationship, the rules are just rules. I've seen it a hundred times. Um, people do cyclical cycles of failure in certain areas of their life, and then something happens that they love more than that sin and they change. 
if it's overeating, but then they're in love with somebody and they say, yeah, sweetie, I just want you to lose weight. You know what I mean? It, smoking and then find out there's a baby coming into the home. Everybody quit smoking all of a sudden. Couldn't do it yesterday. But then you hear that heartbeat. All of a sudden, nobody smokes anymore. What happened? I mean, they'll smoke again when the baby comes, but outside. You know what I mean? But right now, it's like I just can't because if I smoke the cigarette, it'll affect my child. And I love my child more than I love me. Guys, all over creation, we see the same thing again and again and again. What we love most gets our allegiance. And what is in second place does not. That's what Jesus says. You can't have two masters. He's talking about money, but it's true of everything else, isn't it? So I consider today and say to you, you know what, the, the way out of this is for me to preach harder sermons, scream at you about the holiness of God. Be holy as he is holy. And you're not. As you came in today, I saw sin all over your eyes and all over your face and, all, and these hands and these eyes and these thoughts and you got to get rid of table television and don't cut your hair, ladies, and cut your hair, guys, and quit the unpiercing this and untattoo that and holy, holy, holy. But I don't, I don't think that leads to holiness. I think that leads to Phariseeism. The, re, the revelation that began as Phariseeism was holy, but three generations later, it's just religious because the revelation of being separate, being apart for God, the Holy Spirit's leading us to live holy lives became this political movement of religious hypocrisy. Can I say this to you guys? The best we can hope for without a revelation of God that causes us to love Him more, we just end up with religious hypocrisy. So we're going to go back to worship for a little while. And this is what I'd like you to do. I, I want you to consider the areas in which you slide in the wrong direction. I'm not saying focus on your sin. I'm saying if, if you see what it is, call it what it is. But when you see who he is, call, call him what he is too. I sinned, yeah. But you ever stepped on a nail? How many of you ever stepped on a nail? How many of you ever had to get the shot afterwards because your wife saw you step on a nail and didn't give you a choice? My wife's like, get locked job. Make my life a lot easier. You know what I mean? No, she didn't say that. Yeah. You step on a nail. Do, do you ever, when, if you step on a nail, do you say, man, I am such a nail. I am such a nail. I can't believe I stepped on that nail. By stepping on that nail, my identity is I am a nail stepper. I am, I am such a nail. I can't believe. I did. I'm so stupid. How could I step on a nail? How can I not wear nail-proof boots? I'm so dumb. Why did I, I, anybody do that? Be like, you don't need to be in the emergency room. You need to be in the emergency room that has the pads on the walls. Because that's nuts. And yet when we sin, condemnation's voice comes and says, you're such a sinner. How could you be so stupid? You, you are what you have done. And, and an adulteress by Jesus is called a daughter in that, in that moment. Is his love absent? Is it not there? He had to get, she's looking in the dirt. She's terrified. She's mortified. And Jesus says, daughter. And then she looks up and he says, where are your accusers? Jesus didn't come to accuse you. He came to deliver you. And when you get that he's not fighting against you, he's fighting for you. When you get that his mercy is available for you. When you see that the cross was not to create a religious movement or a symbol to hang around your neck, it was, it was a, an instrument of horrific death for the purpose of dying for my horrific sins once for all so that I can be free. He who the Son sets free. Come on. It's free indeed. 
He didn't, he didn't save you to put you in religious bondage and take you back to the laws of Judaism. He, he set you free. It is by grace you are saved through faith. It's not by our works. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. I got nothing to brag on except my Savior. And I will brag on my Savior. And I will not focus on my sin. And when you come out of Egypt and you get your eyes on a promised land, you'll make your way through the wilderness. You'll get through the enemies. The Amalekites, the Amorites, the Stinkerites that attack you, they won't keep you from the prize that is set before you, which is Christ. Stand your feet, please, all over this room. I think we've got decisions to make today. And it's not, will God forgive me? Let me come to this altar and weep and repent. There's nothing wrong with weeping and repenting. I'm just saying this. I've seen people get saved every week, week after week after week. Is that really what's happening? No, but the condemnation came back because we're not focused on the grace of God. We're focused on the sins of man. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He started this thing, and he will complete this thing. He's the author and the perfecter. Peter, following Jesus, three and a half years, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blind eyes, and he wasn't holy as God is holy yet. Fast forward 35 years later. How many of you guys know it's hard to give that command unless you're living that command? So I don't speak a lot about watch what you say. That's, that's what we pay Pastor Carl to do. Because I haven't mastered my tongue. I, I, I'm, I'm resident. I'm resident. I'm, what a butt uncle that was. What a reticent. I'm reticent of that. How could I preach a sermon on be careful what you say and say butt uncle in the same sermon? But I'll say this to you guys. If you know the grace of God and the grace of God knows you, for the joy set before you, man. There's a promised land. Close your eyes all over this room. Father, I pray that corporately today in these last 10, 15 minutes we got of just worshiping you, let us see the superiority of Christ. Let us see greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Let us hear again, nothing shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Not life, not death, not angels, not demons, not principalities or powers, not things past, present, or future. I am convinced that nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. From the love of Christ. From the love of Christ. Let the love of Christ win in every debate and every argument, God. I pray this, this act of repentance is not sackcloth and ashes. It's a correction of our mind. It's a correction of our course. We come to an altar today, God, yes, of repentance, but it's not, it's not a repentance of I'm so evil. It's you're so good. Save me from me. Who shall rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. You are Savior. You're our God. You're our King, and we serve you today. God, I pray, bless the season now, the season of worship. Let it dig deep into us. Mercy. Let mercy immerse our souls, God, and let us respond to the love of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Stand your feet. Come on. These altars are open if you want to this morning.